this is your first week here at Richmond. Um, we've been uh, journeying through a series of Flourishing Life, looking particularly at the Gospel of John. Um, this is his personal account. As a disciple, as one of the first disciples, his account of the story of Jesus. As we've heard, as we've explored this, his, his account has a huge emphasis on life. But not just life as an idea, but life that is found in Jesus. The power of the cross and what that means. His resurrection that bought and won this new life. And John talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth, the teacher. The one who speaks within us of our belonging to God. The one who renews us. Who bears life-giving fruit within us. The one who empowers us to participate in God's great salvation project in Jesus. We are bearers of this light this light that John begins his whole account with. We are bearers of this light that entered into the darkness. We are bearers of this light that creates life within us. You know, one of the things I would have loved to have been able to do um, while I've been part of this family is to work out how to get this to sit on my head properly. So I'll have to fiddle with it a few bits. That's the problem with having a big head. That's all right. Anyway, so I want to ask you something. We, re- we sing a lot of these words today, deep emotional words. I want to ask you, have you ever been captivated by something? Has something taken hold of you? that has changed the game forever, is maybe it's a new skill, maybe it's a new thought, maybe it's a new feeling, maybe it's a new experience. Because John writes out of this sense of captivation of who Jesus is. You know, when we sold our last home, I um, had the absolute privilege of being able to design our previous home in Belair. We had to sell it because it was on a really steep slope. It was 2.3 and 5. But it was lovely um, in terms of the views and the way the house worked. And it worked well when we first got married. We had so many small groups in that home, so many memories. We had a beautiful fire that we could just get cranking. Um, We could see the rain coming in off the ocean. And we could count to 10 before it would hit us. We could see fireworks New Year's Eve. We could stand out on the deck in the dusk and have little birds and bats and different things fly around us. Um, We we love that house and we love sharing that house. But we had kids. It wasn't okay for us to have a block like this. There was a moment where my car, because I didn't put the handbrake on, almost ran over Micah. It was close. Luckily, I jumped in front of the car and Tried to slow it down. I couldn't stop a car. I'm pretty buff, but I'm not that buff. <laughs> this, 
it was quite obvious that this house was coming near the end and Rachel, in her generosity, agreed that if our house sold over a certain amount, which I was pretty secretly confident it would, that I could buy a childhood dream, a motorbike. You've seen it out there. And since I've got it, the experience of riding has kind of captivated me in a certain way. I love to ride. I love riding through the country and having the smells and the sight of, of all the different things, being so engaged with my senses. I love the feeling of the wind and riding on the, on the road. I love leaning into corners and weaving way through. You don't have to go fast to feel just so free. I love the way it empties my mind. And often before preaching, I'll ride down because it just gives me a moment of just calm. It's captivated me. I can't look at the world another way. When I drive in a car, it feels boring. It just, it feels so dull. It feels so lifeless. And you know if something has captivated you, if because of how much you love it, you get excited when someone else has the same idea. When someone else has had the same experience, the same shared experience. Motorbike riders will ride along and they'll nod at each other. People riding kind of sports, more sports bikes like mine, we nod at each other, but we don't nod at the cruisers. And the cruisers and the Harley people only nod at each other and don't look at us. There's this kind of thing that takes over your life when you get a motorbike. My family thinks I'm crazy. My sisters have told me that if I ever hurt myself, I'm in so much trouble. They are not okay with it. But I can't help myself. I've now started. I've become a motorbike rider, and it's changed the way I view the world a little bit. Has something ever captivated you in that way? Because this is John's experience, and John's gospel is an overflow of his captivation. A captivation that's obviously so much greater than motorbike riding, but a celebration of the joy and the life that he has found and experienced in Jesus. And so John's account calls us again and again and again to belief in Jesus. In fact, he says it about a hundred times. And he, conclude, and he concludes, as we've heard, of, heard before, his gospel by saying these words. And it sets the tone for the reason about why this whole thing came together. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. John is writing his account of the gospel so that we may believe and may have life in his name. He's writing about Jesus as a witness of who he is was and is, what he did and what he said, what he promised that came true. And the ultimate truth that life is found in Jesus, a truth that he himself knows. And so he writes this gospel, this impassioned plea to us to believe. We know this is his experience because we can read really early in the book of Acts uh, the story of the beginnings of the church, of the extraordinary life that John found he was entering into. 
after Jesus went back to the Father. We read the disciples being filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we read about how they begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read about a church that begins to grow, a new community of love, loving each other and their neighbor, proclaiming who Jesus is, breaking bread, living generously, living in the favor of the people, it tells us. And we read of miracle upon miracle upon miracle. John enters into this story in Acts in a big way in chapter 4 when we read that he and Peter are arrested by the priests, the temple guards, and the Sadducees because of the disturbance that this early church was creating. Acts tells us they wanted to know by what power, by what name are you doing this? Because they could see the effect it was happening. And this is Peter's response as he stands next to John. Says this, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame, and I ask how he was being healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note these men had been with Jesus. I share this because you can see in John's life the change Jesus has made. You can see how much it makes sense that if this is his reality, that he would focus his account on who Jesus is on this life that he himself knows. The experience that he has of following Jesus this extraordinary experience of what happens when you dare to believe in his name. And today, as we journey in John, we are looking at the heart of what John is calling us to believe. That Jesus is the center of it all. He is the way and the truth and the life. Let me read from chapter 14. It says, Jesus says to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, 
and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This chapter begins with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, growing up in um, Sunday school, I heard Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I've sung one way. I've you know, I've sung all these different songs where you kind of hear little snippets of it. But this story is being told and shared about a time of incredible uncertainty for the disciples. Everything is about to change. Something has shifted in the tone of Jesus and what he is sharing about what's next has begun to change. We read in the previous chapter that he says these words to them. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, just as I've told the Jews. And so I'll tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. you so, that, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. It's clear that their time with Jesus is coming to an end. And his new command re-emphasizes it. He says to them, love one another. This is how people will know that you're my disciples, not because I will be with you physically, but by the love that you show to each other. What I love about this whole story is the humanness of it all. We read Simon Peter, we read Philip, we read... um, even Judas, we read Thomas, asking questions in this confusion. Peter says, where are you going, Lord? Because Jesus was going to a place that they could not follow. This was a time of uncertainty. This is a time of crisis. Jesus had just told Peter that he would deny him. And only moments before, he would reveal the one who would betray him. Things were changing and changing quickly. And it's the nature of this change that makes his call to belief in him, that life is found in him, so different from the times that he has said it before. Not that his message has changed, but the way they're viewing what he has said is suddenly taken on a whole new dynamic. You see, before these words were spoken, believing in Jesus as the bread of life, 
Believing that Jesus would bring life in abundance, as we'll hear from Josh next week. Hearing that Jesus is taking, for those who believe in him, they'll have eternal life. Meaning the life found when the kingdom of God has fully come. Could still mean belief in maybe an earthly warrior or a Messiah king, a revolutionary, a prophet or a great rabbi. Someone they could physically see and touch and follow. But this was different. We hear it in Thomas's question in verse 5. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? This is personal to them. Their response is incredibly human. I love that about the Bible. It doesn't shy away from, from the humanity of it all. It shows the depths of God's love and his grace for us. And it's important for us because if you've ever felt uncertain, if you've ever felt unsure, if you've ever not known a way to turn or a way to go, then you're feeling exactly what the disciples are feeling in this moment when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this moment, Jesus says those words. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what makes this statement so different? It's a statement about the future with a completely different paradigm. No longer what they thought Jesus is would be able to fit into their preconceived ideas. No longer was their future as his followers. No longer was this future the way they might have thought it would have been. Because in his life, in his death and his resurrection, he was being lifted up as more than a man, a king, a prophet or a rabbi. He was being glorified as the son of man and the son of God. The one who has made a way to the Father. The one who would conquer death. The one who is the king of the promised kingdom. The one who is renewing all things. And He was now going to a place where they could not follow. But that was the plan all along. The renewal of all things. God's kingdom come was being prepared for them through his death and resurrection. His resurrection would ultimately mean their resurrection. It would mean our resurrection. He would make a way for us to follow him into the new life with God the Father. And that way is him, centered on him. It is Jesus who is the way. Equal to the Father, the image of the invisible God. This is a huge, huge, huge claim. This is a game changer with Jesus placed at the center. This means that any other idea we've ever had, anything else we've ever believed, becomes untrue, becomes not the way, becomes not the life. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And so John records these words of Jesus because it seems he wants us to understand that there is no other way, no other truth, no other life outside of Jesus. As he wrote in chapter 20, that, you, that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus isn't and wasn't an earthly king or another rabbi or a prophet. But because of his work on the cross, because he is glorified with the Father, it is in Jesus' name that life is found. So John records the words of Jesus and he knows them to be true because this was his experienced reality. So when we hear these words, we need to ask ourselves, is this our reality too? Why do we participate in a church community? Why do we come every week? When we hear the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, does something resonate in us that declares praise, that says, yes, 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 that is what I know. Maybe we come because we want this to be true. Maybe we connect in because there is something within us that knows that just, just maybe. John wasn't writing as a nice theoretical idea. He was writing because he knew it could be an experienced reality for all of us if we allow it. If we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. This could be our experienced reality. As Peter said to the arresters in Acts 4, he says, salvation is found in him. He is the cornerstone. He is the only way to the Father. He is the King to whom we give allegiance above all else. He is the Lord of all. He is God. But he's also the path in which we follow. He is the way of God the Father. His life that was poured out for others, self-sacrificing, humble, led by the Spirit, obedient to the Father, dying to self, loving neighbor, loving enemy. His way is the way of living. His way is what the kingdom looks like. It's not a nice idea. It's not a great option. It's the way. This should make us stop for a moment and ask ourselves, what does this mean? If the way of living out like Jesus lived out is the way, what does that mean about the choices that I make every day? What does that mean about who I put first and where I run to when times are hard? What does that mean about what I do for a job? What does that mean about who I engage with and what I prioritize and what I invest in? If I was to look at my own life, could I truly say that Jesus is the way? John is also captivated because he knows that Jesus is the truth. 
He is everything that he says he is. His words, his teachings, his commandments, his rebukes, his affirmations, his offer of forgiveness is the truth of God the Father. His character is the character of God. Who Jesus spent his time with is who the kingdom is for. His challenge and his call to us to forgive others without condition. His challenge for us to reach out to the vulnerable, to love neighbor, to love enemy. To believe in his finished work on the cross. To believe in the power of his resurrection is the challenge and the call of the whole kingdom of God. What does this mean for us? When we read the words of Jesus, when we hear them spoken from the front, when we share about them with each other, do we truly say this truth? This is my truth. This is the truth. You know, I think it's really normal for each of us to doubt. We see it in the disciples. It's, like I said before, it's one of the incredible things that we read. It's how human the disciples were. And sometimes for us, it's about the choice to believe. The choice to speak it out. The choice to sing it when we're not feeling it. The choice to pray it when we don't feel like it. The choice maybe to go to others and say, can you just let me know about how great Jesus is because I'm just not feeling it right now and I want to hear the truth. The choice to go, before I believe anything else I see out there, I'm going to believe in this first. This is going to be my filter. This is going to be my focus. Especially in times of fear, in times of strife, in times of worry. This is John's reality. You know, he writes his gospel very late in his life. He's writing it as a testimony He's not writing it straight away after it's all happened and they just had the day of Pentecost and it's party time and everyone's just enjoying themselves. And He's writing it as a person who has experienced the life found in Jesus. He's writing it as a person who looks back at his life and says, I cannot be or know anything except for what Jesus has done in me. Through the highs and through the lows, whether I'm alone on the island or partying with my friends in Jerusalem, this is my experience. Jesus is the truth. And he is captivated by the life that is found in Jesus. Jesus is the life. In living out it's in living out his truth, in living out his way 
And because of our belief, that life is found, as John says, that you may believe and have life in the name. Life in the now through his spirit, the helper, sustainer, comforter, renewer, and empowerer, healer. And life in the kingdom to come. When it comes in all its fullness, eternal, good, perfect, light, lit by the presence of God the Father. Jesus is the life. This too should make us stop and ponder and look at our lives and say, is this my reality? Do I feel like I am walking the Spirit of God encouraging me and renewing me and sustaining me? Do I walk with a hope in what God is going to do in the future? Do I feel like I am partnering with Him in His salvation project? Life in Jesus isn't a concept or an idea. It's a lived out reality that we need to taste and smell and see. You know, I think sometimes... We can be happier with the idea than being willing to actually know the lived reality. Maybe because of how much it will challenge us. Maybe because we're like, well, as an idea, it's kind of safe. But if God is actually God, and he actually wants to come, and as Romans 12 says, transform my life, continue to renew me, continue to take me on a process of transformation, I don't know what that looks like. I don't get to control it. As Rachel shared last week from the line the witch in the wardrobe, that picture of Aslan, he is not safe, but he is good. Life in Jesus is to be a lived out reality. Paul writes this to the church in Philippi in chapter 1. He says, I eagerly expect, from verse 20, and hope that I'll in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, he says, The message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. Paul didn't write this as someone safe, in a safe space. He often wrote these letters from prison. He wrote it from a place where he had given up his all, but could do nothing but give up his all, because that's how much Jesus had changed his life. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, there can be unrest in each of us. You know, somewhere in life, whatever age it is for us, we become aware that this existence that we have has a lot that we love about it. Incredible beauty. But also a lot that is hard. A lot we don't like a lot would rather avoid. The joy of this life is incredible, 
The pain of life can also be incredibly overwhelming. Often we come before God and say, why, why, why? I want to take a moment to thank you, family, for journeying with me as I've gone through stuff with my throat over the last 18 months. I've got a cold today, so it sounds worse than what it is. And there have been people here who have been an incredible encouragement to me, who stood with me and prayed for me, who stood with me maybe when I was feeling pretty low and said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's come before him and believe for your healing. And it's been an incredible journey that isn't quite finished yet, but it is on its way. Things have shifted incredibly over the last 18 months. Maybe there are things in your life that have been like that. We try to figure out what it all means. We try to figure out how it all works. We try to figure out how to flourish, or maybe for some of us it's just how to survive. We want to feel connected. We want to know what matters and what doesn't. We want to matter ourselves. We want to avoid things that feel like death and darkness. There are things in this world that just don't seem right. And even though around us we see death and decay and we've all probably experienced significant loss in our life, and we know that this is a part of life, there's still something within us that cries out, this isn't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. It's in that space that Jesus speaks these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the question I want to leave you with today is, is this your experience John writes earlier in chapter 8 that Jesus makes this promise. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's no conditions, no ifs, buts, or maybes. Is this your experience? Is belief in Jesus the center of who you are? Maybe he once was. Maybe you're still trying to grapple with that. Maybe doubts and fears have made you look for life in other places, things that maybe are more safe, more tangible. Maybe you're tired and struggling to find hope. Maybe you feel like you can't bring who you are before Jesus because it's so hard. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's close our eyes. Lord, each of us 
have our own story to tell. And what we read in John is a story, his story, his witness of you. It's a testimony of what you have done in his life and what you can do in each of us. Lord, we come from so many different places and so many different experiences. And maybe for some of us, if we're really honest, we couldn't really say that Jesus is our way, our truth, our life. Lord, we thank you for your grace that continues to come and call us to yourself. We thank you that you sent your spirit so that it wouldn't be a nice idea or a historical event that happened over there, but it's your spirit living within us, that same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead that testifies to us of our belonging, that gives us a foretaste of future glory, that helps us to know your presence. Helps us to know what your way is. Helps us to know and teaches us your truth. That brings life within us. Allowing it to spill out as an overflow. So Lord, we come this morning. And we say, Lord, we want to know this. For those of us who know this so deeply, we come and we say, thank you, Lord. Teach us how to share this. Teach us how to multiply this for others. Lord, you are the way and the truth and the life, and that challenges every single part of who we are. But we want to be made more like you. We want to be transformed more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. us, that will shape who we are. Can I challenge you to not let these words fall to the side today? To dare to believe in them. To dare to question someone else about them. To dare to ask someone else about maybe their shared reality and be honest maybe if it isn't yours. Don't let these words fall to the ground. 
Let them be planted as a seed within you. Let them change you. Let them challenge you. Let them bring life within you. Thanks, Maddie.